Hello, and welcome to Kill Your Silos. I'm your host, Jason Reichel, the CEO and founder of Go Nimbly. On every episode of Kill Your Silos, we talk to the titans of revenue operations. And today I am talking to a titan, my good friend and colleague, Janae. Welcome, Janae. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks, Jason. Good. What, like, do you feel like you're a titan of RevOps? Uh, I actually was thinking, I'm not actually sure what the exact definition of titan is. Uh, I know that it, you know, I know it means something. I'm really strong and good at it. But I'm, I'm really curious what the exact definition of titan is. Well, because I don't understand the definition of things either, we're going to just say it is indeed you. You are the <laughs> definition of a titan of RevOps. Um, Janae, before we get started, why don't we just say, um, how would you explain what you do at GoNimbly and maybe a little bit about your story on how you got here and your history of leading up to a role as a RevOps consultant? Yeah. Uh, so I'm a program manager specifically at GoNimbly, still a RevOps consultant, still very deep in the RevOps space. Um, what I, my role on my team is to really keep our clients kind of focused on the North Star. Um, it's really interesting because I think like the entire kind of like one of the main uh, goals of RevOps is uh, focusing on the North Star and making sure that all go-to-market teams are focused on, you know, a great customer experience and driving revenue. Um, and even on our teams, it can be internally at GoNimbly, it can be kind of hard to keep the client on that because there's so many things that need to get fixed in the tools. Um, and so my job as the program manager is making sure that my team and uh, my clients' teams are both focused on, you know, what our big goals are. Um, so that's, you know, really, I think working from a roadmap is the easiest way to, to uh, describe that. And my job is making sure that that roadmap is in place and we're all talking about it. In so the part way. product manager, a pro, like program manager, uh, project manager, and sort of, you know, one of the lead revenue ops consultants on the team yeah. is sort of what GoNibly calls this program manager role, which is one of the only unique roles we have in our organization. Um, it's just keeping all those pieces moving and aligned to Northstar. If the North Star is so good for businesses, why do so many businesses struggle with aligning their teams to it, including GoNimbly? Uh, I think the first thing that comes to mind when you ask that, um, you know, working out every day for 30 minutes is really good for me. And I know it's really good for me, but I have emails to answer and people to call and all this other stuff going on that in the moment feels really important. And so I don't work out. It's very similar with our clients. Uh, well, that's not true for you, is it, Janae? <laughs> it is is that why you is is that is that why you're a juggernaut of RevOps? Is because you don't you do the workout every day for thirty minutes? <laughs> it's true, though. It's yeah. There's just so many other things going on um, that feel like fires, uh, and it's very easy to kind of forget what your customers need and want because you're thinking about what you see on your laptop right now. Yeah. One of the things that we talk a lot about, and, and you know, I, know, I read your pre-interview with our content manager, Christy, is around um, reframing everything in the customer's customer's perspective. Or you know, in GoNimbly's example, we work with SaaS companies and we try to get them to focus on the gaps that their customers are experiencing while they're buying the product through the whole life cycle. Why do you, like, 
what happens in these organizations that you can pinpoint that that obscures and I, maybe it's maybe it's the flow like you said the emails and all that stuff coming in but what obscures that relationship to the customer to the point of infighting within organizations how have you seen that sort of manifest itself as being a consultant at go nimbly and going into SaaS organizations and working with them yeah. Uh, I mean, I can also speak to working at a SaaS, at multiple SaaS organizations before coming to GoNimbly. Um, and it's the same everywhere. I, I think the, the simplest answer is that people are human um, and everyone's kind of doing a job. The <laughs> <laughs> simplest answer is people are human. <laughs> like that's just it. I, when I, I'm thinking specifically about the infighting point of the question that you just like, yeah. that you just asked. Um, and a lot of it is I'm thinking about myself. I'm thinking about my team. I'm thinking about my team's KPIs, which are different from that team's KPIs. Um, and it's, if the leadership and uh, your all hands and your weekly meetings aren't talking about the customer experience um, or the customer journey, um, and you're only focused on KPIs, why would anyone think about the customer experience? Right. Like we almost, it's like if you, and I don't mean this about people, but if you got a dog and you trained it just to attack and you're like, why is it attacking? It's like, well, you've been training it to guard this thing instead of teaching it how to be social and like focus on the right things to be a good dog. I think that we do that in the business world too. We are so, I want to call it this like business anxiety that everyone has, especially in COVID to do well and be successful in the midst of something that's really hard. And they sort of lose sight of why they were even created as a business in the first place. I mean, I see this Mm -hmm. with a lot of people I'm talking to on this podcast where they're just trying to remind their business of, you know, why that business exists. I mean, I do this at Go Nimbly. We're doing all these, this vision work and vision 25, which is where we're going to be in five years. Because I think after something major like COVID, it's easy to lose sight of what the business is actually there for and you know, what, what it services for the customers. Do you find that, you know, what's the biggest thing between working at, because you worked at GoNimbly pre-COVID, you worked it through COVID, and maybe hopefully we're at the tail end of this thing now. What are some of the biggest shifts you've seen emotionally from the businesses you work with? Hmm. So I've only been working with one business throughout the entire, like, you know, before during app, actually I was on a call with one of my points of contact from this company um, when it came out that like San Francisco was on lockdown and we were all kind of like internalizing that on this call. Um, But I can tell that uh, I think that the biggest change has been that I think that there was a panic. And I think that at least with this one company that I'm thinking about, um, after, you know, toward the end of last year, they kind of realized like, okay, we can withstand this and this is okay, um, but we can't coast the way that we used to. I think Mm -hmm. that's it. Uh, A lot of our clients are really high growth. They have really excellent products and they've been going, you know, they haven't needed to focus on the go-to-market function uh, because, they're selling um, and they're making money. But I think when COVID hit, everyone was like, oh, wait, we can't just like fly by the seat of our pants anymore. Yeah. I don't want to pretend that I'm super smart and saw the future. I am super smart, but I I don't want to (laughs) pretend that I can see the future. Uh, I thought that it was going to take another five to 10 years before SaaS companies, there were so SaaS companies were so ambiguous in the way that companies are built. 
that you really had to focus on GTM strategy because everyone knows, you know, the previous five years, 10 years, it's been product led growth has been like a big word around Silicon yeah. Valley and how organizations talk about it. And then suddenly your product, even if it was good, was not really selling itself as easily as it was before. And a lot of organizations would refocus on GTM. So the future got here a lot sooner than I thought. But this is kind of what I thought and why I believe RevOps is sort of a foundational layer that's needed right now within all these organizations and sort of speeding up the, the need for RevOps within organizations. Have you seen, even if people are not saying the word RevOps, have you seen a, a refocus on fundamentals of how and gaps are in the process? Have you seen that within the customer base being more, I guess, more in tune to go Nimbly's messaging and into how we think of organizations being run? Yeah, I think so, especially working from a roadmap. Um, like a real RevOps roadmap has been really useful, even with clients that didn't necessarily think that it was useful. Um, mm -hmm. Now they're like, we need, we haven't talked about that in a, in a few weeks. Can we bring that back up? Like, I want people to be looking at this. Whereas I think probably a year or so ago, we were kind of like fighting people. It was like pulling teeth to get people to reference the roadmap sometimes. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Uh, in RevOps, GoNimbly preaches, and I think it's kind of common knowledge amongst you know people that study rev revenue operations, that there are four primary skills of revenue operations. There's a strategy, there's the tools that enable that strategy to work. There's the enablement of those tools at scale to you know the different GTM functions. And then there's insights. Which of those do you feel like it's the least focus? And which one do you enjoy the most from your perspective of, you know, that you think is very useful for an organization? Oh, that's really hard to answer, which is the most useful. Um, I think uh, what comes to mind first, and it might just be my role, and it's interesting, I actually started as a uh, revenue operations consultant in, a, in the tool before I was a program manager at uh, GoNimbly, yep. anyone who didn't know. Um, and so my answer probably, you know, a year or so ago would have been insights or tools. Um, but now I think because of uh, having worked in the tool every day and working, you know, pulling insights, making sure that we had the data that we needed to get the insights, um, I'm seeing how important strategy is. Um, and I think that that's something that's very overlooked in a RevOps organization or not necessarily in a RevOps organization, traditionally in like a sales ops or a marketing ops role that's been siloed. Yes. Um, and I say that- Or you just take down uh, requirements as a strategy. You don't actually think about what the strategy is, right? Yeah. Like, someone oh, we need to grow by 20% is not a strategy. That's just a metric that someone wants to hit. Exactly. And I think that um, having worked in marketing ops roles at a few different SaaS companies before Go Nimbly, I was always just like, okay, what do we need? Okay, that's my, my strategy is it's not, uh, you know, data cleanliness isn't a strategy. <laughs> uh, making sure that Marketo doesn't, and Salesforce don't have dupes isn't really a strategy, but that's all that I was thinking about. And then even my direct managers, that's what they were thinking about. Um, so I'm seeing that as being much more important to make sure that going back to your previous question earlier, um, if we have the strategy, it's a lot easier for us to make sure that we're focused on the big picture and the, and the customer experience and the big things that we want to do to move the needle. Mm -hmm. What I know that you have a passion for enablement within these organizations and, and out of a lot of our PMs, you're often talking about both enablement internally at GoNimbly and how we do that with our staff, which we have historically been, um, great at sometimes and terrible at sometimes, um, <laughs> 
and within organizations themselves, how does enablement play a role in how you think revenue operations should be sort of ingested by companies that you work with and internally at organizations? Yeah, it's such a huge thing um, that I don't think anyone ever comes to us for, uh, but it always comes up when we get into the work because these, all of my clients are growing so quickly and hiring so quickly. Um, and so we can do all of these operational things, all these things in the tools, we can get the data and like make sure that you are able to forecast. But if your reps or your operators don't know what to do with this or why it's important or how to leverage it for their own like personal data, like for growing themselves, getting better at their jobs, it just is like a wash. Um, and so with every client that ends up being the thing that I'm like, uh, can we, we need to spend some time on this. Um, and the client realizes that themselves as well, usually. Yeah. No, I haven't seen more and more people shifting from like enablement of the process to just be like trying to create a continuous learning environment within their go-to-market team. So, you know, go nimbly, we do these things on Mondays. So for people out, outside that we do on decks, we do retrospectives on a weekly basis. It's not focused on a particular, let's say work stream. It's not like, oh, we just rolled this thing out. So let's have training. If we have to have those kind of specialty one-off trainings, we do. But I think a lot of organizations don't have um, continuous education, continuous learning built into the very fabric of their organization. So it always feels like a huge burden or, or scary to actually ask for people's time and, and get them trained up. Are you seeing more people moving towards wanting to have like a, you know, for lack of a better word, like Go Nimbly has a betterment culture within their organization? Yeah, that's definitely something that um, I have three clients and each, all three of them are invested in enablement at this point. Um, I think that sometimes it can be difficult, especially when you have uh, multiple, if we're just thinking about sales, but you know, I'm thinking about something interesting. If you're just thinking about sales and you have like, you know, your inbound, your outbound, your AEs, your enterprise, your mid-market, et cetera you might have a different enablement for each of those. And so it's hard for them to kind of prioritize that. Um, but each of them are doing like ongoing enablement. They have a team dedicated to it. They have a, you know, um, a content management system for it. Now though, as I'm thinking, that does not happen for marketing teams. Um, and I think that marketing teams need enablement just as much as sales reps do. Absolutely. You know, one thing we talk a lot about, and I saw it come up in your pre-interview is in an organization, one of the dangers of silos is that people are working on redundant work or looking at, you know, the task from their own perspective and not that of the holistic go-to-market team, which is the reason you need revenue operations. Um, what happens when you come across this common operational issue of teams not being on the same page? What What's the down, like, as an outsider in these organizations looking in on, like you can probably see that clear as day, like, oh shit, the sales and marketing team are actually not talking. And like, they're using different words, but they're talking about the same thing. How does that actually impact negatively businesses? What's the, like, what's the big deal if that happens? Cause this is something that I get asked all the time. And, you know, I'm, as a CEO, I feel like I have a perspective of, well, my business is not running as effectively as it could. So that's the problem. But what is it if you're inside these businesses and working with them, what's the downstream effects of these different teams not co collaborating? Yeah, so you named one of them, which is like kind of rework or um, either team isn't working as, you're not getting as much of a return 
on the initiative as you would. I think a really good example is like marketing events, right? Trade shows, um, webinars as, as, as it were today. But uh, if a marketing team is investing a ton of money in a, you know, a webinar with a partner and the sales team doesn't know about it or the sales team doesn't know about it until three days before, so they can't prep their outreach, et cetera, et cetera, then you're not getting the most out of that campaign uh, because mm -hmm. they're not communicating. And I think that that happens with a lot of different things. Um, I think another thing is just, this is so kind of tactical it feels, but it, it's still important, uh, like data, a really big issue, like glaring, uh, low-hanging fruit that comes to us is if the sales team and the marketing team are speaking a different language, your insight, like the insights are completely lost uh, because no one knows what the truth is from the, from the outset. Um, so I think those are the two most like glaring um, things that I see as a result of, of those silos. I think also one of the things that I've found is, you know, let's not be dishonest and, and SaaS businesses turnover and, and people mm -hmm. leaving happens a lot. And the institutionalized road mapping knowledge that people have, all this stuff kind of goes with them. And so a lot of times you might have people in the organization who have not been there for very long trying to manage things. And like, it just leads to a lot of um, siloing being created on accident. It's not even on purpose. Absolutely. It's not like these people don't want to work together. It's just that they, you know, they're, they're doing their best work, but there's no, nothing to tie them together. So as a RevOps you know, expert, how do you actually bring these people together and make them work on the same page? Road mapping was one of the you know, techniques that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, what are some of your other techniques that you've learned through your, through your tenure that actually do work? Yeah, this is, uh, might be unpopular, uh, recurring meetings, uh, being thoughtful about them, but getting the right people in the room regularly is so impactful. Uh, and I think a good example, one of my clients, um, there was a sales ops person that was hired and a marketing ops person that was hired. They had both been at the company for like two months and they had never met each other until we had our call, our RevOps call. Um, and that's crazy to me, but now they're working in lockstep because I created, like our team created the space for that. Um, and I've seen that over and over again. Um, so road mapping is a, a great kind of um, reason. That's a great thing to do on those calls, but even just like action meetings, which is something that we talk about at Go Nimbly, um, making sure that everyone is aware of what the team is working on and where people are blocked um, is so impactful and it's so easy. <laughs> I don't think I've ever talked about action meetings on this call. And since you brought it up, maybe it's useful to go into it. How is an action meeting different from your perspective as mm -hmm. someone who's facilitated than a, a traditional meeting with people? Yeah. So action meetings are really, I would say the biggest differences and what's impactful about them is the agenda is made on the call. Um, and there are time limits for discussion around each agenda item. Uh, and the goal is to pull out action meetings or excuse me, action items from the meeting so it's not just like a discussion about MQLs. You might, uh, you might have an action item that is, let's schedule a follow-up meeting about MQLs. Uh, but you go into this meeting saying, these are all the things that I'm working on. These are, you know, this is our North Star. Maybe you can talk about, a, 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 you know, NPS score uh, if you're thinking about the customer experience all the time, things like that. Um, and you just spend three minutes on each agenda item pull out what needs to happen next, and then you go do it. And everyone's aware of what everyone needs to be doing. So that's the, I guess, the, the functional difference. What is it that you've experienced 
because GoNimbly didn't always have action meetings being part of our of our strategy for communicating mm-hmm. to our customers. We had weekly meetings with them always. What was the biggest transformation from going from like a traditional like a set meeting, reoccurring meeting to this more action-based meeting? What what did you see change within our teams and within the customers? I think that the biggest um, change, or at least what I found really useful, was um, everyone was aware of what they needed to do um, next. And so when we had the next action meeting, we review those those action items from the previous call. And so there's some level of accountability. So we're Mm -hmm. being held accountable as a team, but also the clients held accountable too, to each other, not even to us. Um, it's almost like a light version of project management that everyone's contributing to in a, in a weird way. Yeah. At least it's called accountability management, right? It's like people know it it does seem a little bit like it takes some, some things from like scrum or date, like a stand up or something. But I think what's really cool about it is there's space for updates that you need to give to your team because you've committed. And then there's a space for some conversation, um, but it's so time bound that everyone can pay attention for three minutes while the head of marketing talks about a struggle they're having in marketing. And I think 50% of the time someone goes, shit, that had something to do with me. And I'm glad I was yeah. listening. Right. Yeah. Whereas in traditional calls, even as go nimbly, we would be in a call and then the loudest person in the room would go down a diatribe about a problem they're having for 25 minutes of the 45 minute call that we had with them. Do you think that's, I mean, am I accurately painting the, the feeling difference between oh, those and, and totally what's the engagement is. Yeah, that's totally I mean, that's true. what I experienced on leadership team running action means versus what used to happen. Yeah. Um, and we also find that like, um, what would have been a one hour meeting with eight people is a 30 minute meeting with eight people that maybe results in three additional meetings with two people each. Um, and they actually are excited now about those additional meetings because there, there's been clarity of what needs to be discussed, right? So instead of having a conversation about MQL, that's not really what the action item would be. The action item would be, oh, let's have a conversation about this particular element of MQL or our process because you've kind of narrowed that down into what the action meeting actually is. Exactly. It allows you to pinpoint the friction or, or the gap pretty quickly. I think it's a really interesting, and we didn't invent this, but I think it's a really interesting framework for running meetings. I do think that one thing that people lack if you do a lot of action means, like all of my means got transformed into action means. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you feel like you lack this area to just kind of discuss something theoretically. Um, but I think as a team, those should happen in quarterly workshops or camps where you bring everyone together and you kind of just go through. If I ran at one of our SaaS companies as head of rev officer, you know, a CRO level role, I would say have action means weekly. And then once, um, once a quarter, have like a big silo breaking workshop like we run where we go through the whole customer journey and everyone becomes familiar with it again and again and again, because hopefully your customer experience is changing dramatically with the, with the additional RevOps support you're putting into the product and into your GTM functions. Yeah. Um, do you see that as like where you think this is going is like action means for a quarter and then like a big coming together kind of discussion uh, about what's changed? Do you see that being the future of these organizations and how these teams might function? Yeah, I think a quarterly silo breaking workshop is a hard sell just because of time. Um, Mm -hmm. But I will say that we kind of do something similar to what you're saying, but with the roadmap. Um, So we'll do action meetings like for about six weeks and then we'll hit the roadmap again, make sure everyone's aligned and it's no one's confused. Maybe we'll add a few things, move some things around, but we've been talking about it so much that everyone gets it. Yeah, I see. 
Yeah. Do you review the roadmap? I mean, and this is kind of, an, I don't think GoNimbly has a process to this, but just as a PM, do you review the roadmap on as one of the updates on every action meeting? No. No. So you kind of just do the work and let the work, let the tactical yeah. part take over. And then you, you bring back the strategy conversation after some period of time. Like in the Exactly. Because the strategy, sometimes too much strategy. I mean, these are operators too. And sometimes it's yes. like, we need to get into the weeds. Uh, and yes. so I always keep what's on the roadmap in mind when I'm putting in my agenda items. So we're talking about it, but we're not talking about like, and this is why, or this is the outcome. It's just like, Hey, where are we on this? Kind of. I see. Um, for most of your clients, are you managing, have they, so it's, you know, we're consultancy. And so when I think about this, it makes sense that someone would want to see our work, what we're contributing on a roadmap. Are more and more clients interested in putting their operational work, their their GTM functions onto a roadmap too? It's funny. The operators, not so much. Leadership, yes. Like leadership, okay. will, I will say, okay, oh, you're working on that, John? I'll put that into the roadmap. Um, and then leadership will, has asked like, hey, we're, we're going into our C-level meeting. Can you send me the roadmap? So they are using it to reflect everything that's going on, not just what GoNibly is working on. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I think a lot of these things come from leadership. Road mapping is a tool to, you know, broadly speak strategically to people above and to the side of you, right? I think as an operator, sometimes it's hard to understand what the value of it is, except for you're going to get more support because people are going to lean in on it. And I think that sometimes gets lost in the minutia of the work because yeah. you're like, well, I already know I need to do this. Well, yeah, you know, how you have to do it. But the difference between doing the work and getting it done and having no executive oversight or no management oversight and doing the work and getting it done and having the support of your executive team is insane because mm -hmm. that work is now going to get pushed at a level that you could never push as an individual operator within a company. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think that a lot of operators are not thinking about what does it mean to have this power of multiple, you know, let, let's pretend on your team, it's not C-suite people reviewing it, but maybe the head of sales and the head of marketing Still, those are powerful allies in operations to have reiterating what's happening and why that's exciting and all of these things that we sort of take for granted in the organization. Yeah, um, and I do so think operators are starting to find are starting to find some value in it, but they're just not totally thinking about it all the time. Yeah. Um, one thing that you know we've never done one of these interviews where I'm interviewing someone that works at GoNimbly, and you know I. We, we have conversations and I know a little bit about your background, but you know, one of the things I thought would be fun is to, you know, tell me something about your past that like, was like a fun career story or, or a fact about you that maybe you think that I don't know. Um, well, I told a story that's uh, Christy may have told you already, um, but I did my first um, like kind of tech job, my foray into technology, um, was in Atlanta at a company called CallRail. I was like the 22nd employee and I started in customer support. Um, and that was such a, that job taught me, um, what to look for in companies because the leadership like looked at their team as human beings that, we're happy to work at this company, but we're making him money <laughs> um, yeah. and had other things. They what a crazy to thing to have to look for. <laughs> <laughs> I know. But, I know. But, it's crazy. But, okay. <laughs> it's crazy. But now that was, I think I started working there when I was like 23. Um, and it just is like, I, it's so obvious to me now when that's not the case. And it's not so much that I like 
care about someone thinking I'm a cog in a wheel or not. That's not even it. It's just that you recognize that like, this is an exchange and I care about this company and I want to be successful because, and it helps that like, I like you as a person, if you're, you know, the leader and the one that's like making, gonna come out on top, you know, um, yep. financially. But for them, like, it really is nice to, for someone to recognize that um, I'm a better worker when I have the space mentally and the time to pursue the things that make me, that light me up in the same way that mm-hmm. whatever your company is about that you created lights you up. So how did he do that? How did he communicate that? Like walk through what his methods were because yeah. I think that's really interesting to any early entrepreneur to hear about how do you empower your individuals at your organization to both be leaders and care, but also have the real, like have this realism that it's not their company. Like yeah, you work yeah. at Go Nimbly right now, Go Nimbly is not your company. Hopefully in some time in the future that may change, but uh, right now that's a true statement. So how did this person manage that very, you know, what I would say is the balancing of act that mm-hmm. must be required to work in a business. Um, he would celebrate things that people did outside of work a lot. Um, I remember one of my coworkers, uh, former coworkers, um, what was pursuing music writing and um, he, she went and covered like uh, South by Southwest. Um, and that was like her first like paid, we're flying out here, whatever job to do it. And she was out of the office for like a week because of it. And he was like, in our company all hands, Erica's not here today because she's doing this da 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 thing. And it's so cool. How exciting is that? And then he also would celebrate, you know, what she did at work as well. Um, so it was that, which was like kind of above and beyond to me, but also just, uh, there was a lot of like, it was a flexible job, you know, the expectations were clear. Everyone had KPIs and we knew what we were supposed to do, but, um, there wasn't a lot of, you know, this is pretty basic, you know, ass and chair type stuff. Um, yeah. he made space for, for, yeah. Well, one question that I asked, but I'm particularly interested in learning this from you is if you had any job besides this one, which is, you know, being this, uh, tooling expert, the psychologist, this, uh, this leader for these organizations, what job would you do? Uh, I, this changes like every day, but I think last time someone asked me this, I said yoga teacher, doula, social, emotional learning instructor for children, um, librarian and or bookstore owner. Wow. Okay. Well, that makes it sound like you're going to be a star of like a romantic comedy or something. Because <laughs> <laughs> all of those jobs have an intersection with you meeting Brad Pitt or, or someone like that. <laughs> what are the things that I'm particularly interested in today? <laughs> all right. Let's take, a, let's take them one, one thing at a time and, and dive a little bit deeper. We have time. So what did, what's this emotional learning? So I'm guessing it's like, since you said it was with youth, you don't feel like a lot of EQ is being taught to children at early ages or are you just yeah, very I interested mean, in it? Definitely. It's honestly, it's the stuff that you talk about during camp a lot, Jason. Um, like how to do things that are scary, how to communicate your emotions, how to, um, how to, you know, be witness to your feelings and recognize what they are, but not, you know, be able to separate your actions or reactions from them. So it them. sounds like you and I need to start a youth RevOps camp 
where Honestly, we teach kids. <laughs> that's actually what I really like. You said the thing about anxiety. That is really, I have had a client say like, wow, this is like a therapy session. Like to be able to create clarity and remove that anxiety and like make people feel like things are moving forward and they can do their jobs. Like that also is my thing. Um, so yeah. yeah, if we could translate that to kids RevOps camp, Sounds great. Everyone wants their kid to, you know, be mindful. Let them be the operators of their destiny would be our slogan. Um, Part-time yoga instructor. Okay. So this is uh, when I first met you, uh, do you remember we were doing ax throwing and you said halfway through you had to leave, I think to go, or you were late or something because you had to do a workout, even though I'm like, we're throwing axes. That's like a workout in itself. What do you, what's going on? So is that part of your like fitness, like, side like your brain yeah it's a i found i have found yoga in my past i still do it now but it was very useful for me when i was like pretty young like in college in terms of like silencing and focusing and um being in touch with my like you know with my body and stuff like that uh doula what's this about what what part Uh, of your personality is that is my nurturer I'm sure coworkers watching, but not know that I have some two energy, (laughs) but I do have some Enneagram two energy. Um, And I am just really interested in birth and uh, (laughs) a lot of stuff. I think your parents missed a conversation with you. I'll I'll, I'll fill you in (laughs) after the podcast. No, it's just a lot of people, uh, a lot of women don't like, it sounds scary. It's always scary and bad. And even like the worst thing that happens to you. And I think that there's Mm -hmm. a lot more women should be comfortable being an active participant in that experience. And so it'll be more. I think so too. Yeah. I thought um, that was part of the, even for the man in the scenario, like going to the doulas when, before I had Stella, um, they, they made me much more comfortable because it was like this, for lack of a better word, this grandma energy they brought to it yeah. versus like all this science energy that I was getting. Not to say dueling isn't science. It is. I know a lot of them are based on that, but like, but the it was just like more caring. Yeah. yeah, it felt great. And, and uh, so that's awesome. That's part of you. Last one, which I just am guessing because you're a huge nerd, but part-time librarian, what's, what part of you is that? Uh, I'm very, like, I'm extremely passionate about um, childhood literacy. I have been teaching, like, tutoring little kids and reading for many years. And I actually teach adults too, um, incarcerated adults. And that has, like, fully banged it in me that, like, you know, if this 30 year old woman is sitting in jail right now and she doesn't know how to like read very well, read a news article, that's how she got here. And we can just stop it if we can get to kids much earlier. Um, And so, yeah, that's like, I would love to just give kids books. (laughs) Sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I love that. I don't know why, you know, we have Santa and they give toys and stuff. I don't know why we don't have a more of a culture of like, once a month, give a kid in your life a book. Like, I don't know why that's a thing that we don't do for children. Like, I mean, I read to Stella all the time and now she loves books, but like mm-hmm. I had the excess income and exactly. also, you know, sort of the time being who I am to, to give that to her. And when I was a kid, I loved reading. I loved learning. It wasn't something that my family shared at all. And mm-hmm. so it was, it made me a weirdo in my family, right? Mm-hmm. It made me on a, a kind of outside of their core group. And it was this fifth grade teacher who would take me to the library, even in school, like in the school, she'd let me go to the library and made sure that I always had a book um, 
every Friday for the weekend. Um, and like, she like, um, pushed me around like, uh, creative writing and all of these other things. And like, I've always had kind of a soft spot for that, that experience because I found myself and like found out who I wanted to be through that exploration, let alone that I have now, you know, I can read well and I can comprehend well. Um, it was also a means of finding myself. Yeah. So I, yeah. I think that's amazing. So thank you for that work uh, that you do. I, I didn't know that about you. So I did find out something interesting. All right. <laughs> we're going to switch gears completely. Are you ready? These are gameplay type questions of this question, fast answer response. Think of it as a Rorschach test. So do not spend a lot of time thinking about the answers to this. Are you ready? Okay, let's get it. Best okay. thing you watched on TV in 2020. The last czar. The last czar. A life productivity hack you like. Uh, reframe things as I get to do this. This is the story that I get to tell from doing this thing that I want to do. A song you absolutely hate that probably after this will get stuck in your head. <laughs> Fight song. But actually, I love that. So I don't know why it came up, but I, I love to hate yeah. that song. <laughs> Thank you, friend. And thank you for all your hard work at our company. And I look forward to speaking to you on our next all hands call. All right. Bye, Jason. Bye.